And so I'm coming to you from my outdoor office <laughs> in the woods behind our house. Uh, this was a little place that I carved out that gets me away from everybody. And uh, there was lots of sound in the house today. But I also came out here because I wanted to talk with you about discouragement, despair, and broom trees. All right, and there's this thing, this plant in the Bible, it's called a broom tree, all right? And, and broom trees uh, are desert shrubs that would grow across Arabia and in the Judean wilderness. And they looked a little bit like this. This kind of like a bushy, big tree. Uh, I think that's a Japanese honeysuckle. I think that's an invasive one. But they were these these kind of bushy trees that uh, the leaves started about halfway up and the branches started about halfway up that could provide some shade. Uh, but they dwelled in the desert. They live, they, they live and they propagate in the desert, but uh, they're pretty rare. But the unique thing about them is that they put roots down very, 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 very deep. And so the, those deep roots allow them to tap water and find water and to find moisture when it doesn't look like there's any water or moisture around, okay? But the, the more important thing is that in the scriptures, Broom trees represent places and spaces of desperation. They're mentioned five or six times throughout the scriptures. Um, and, and in the Bible, shrubs like broom trees appear in moments of despair, but also in moments of divine encounter. And the interesting thing is that those two things are often combined. Despair, desperation, and divine encounter. Uh, as, as you can hear from uh, some words, let me open to the book of Job, the oldest book of the Bible. Um, in Job 30, uh, it's just a description. You don't need to know the context at the moment. But it says, Haggard and want from hunger, they roamed the parched land in desolate wastelands at night. In the brush, they gathered salt herbs, and their food was the root of the broom bush. It goes on to say that the, they were banished from human society forced to live in dry stream beds, treated as if they were thieves. So the idea is they were, they were uh, the food was the root of the broom bush. They were people who lived among the broom bushes in the desert, people who lived desperate and in des desolation with very little hope. That was the idea behind this broom bush. In Psalm 120, a broom bush is equated with a metaphor for punishment and for distress and for despair. And in Genesis 21, uh, when Abraham, his servant, Hagar, has a child through him, the child is born, and then uh, Sarah, his wife, has a child from the promise of God. She was barren, and she, she bears a child, and she gets jealous about Hagar and her child, and, and they are banished, and they go out into the desert. It's, it's a horrible story, by the way. There's lots of stories that are hard to read um, in the scriptures because it's a very human story story of people's encounters with God. But, uh, but as Hagar goes out into the desert, when she runs out of water, she places her baby Ishmael underneath a broom tree and she walks away because she cannot bear to watch him die. And in that moment, God actually meets them. God speaks a promise to Hagar that he hasn't forgotten her, that he hasn't overlooked her. He brings her back to her son. He brings both of them to water and they in in, indeed they have a future and they have hope. And he says, I am, not, I am not done with you. You are not worthless. You are not cast off. So, so even there, a moment at the broom tree, a place of desperation becomes a place of divine encounter. The most well-known, however, of all of the broom tree moments, they occur in the life of Israel's most powerful prophet, Elijah. 
And this is in 1 Kings 19. And if, uh, if you're familiar with the scriptures, there's a story right before it with uh, the prophets of Baal. And it's this really intense, ends up being very bloody story um, where Elijah comes in and there's this kind of like battle of the bands version of, of gods. And, uh, and so he tells the prophets of Baal to build this huge altar and to call fire from, from their god. Uh, to come and consume it and of course they try and they can't and then Elijah builds builds um, an altar soaks it with water just to kind of be you know a little bit pretentious but prove how how uh, how powerful his God is and then God brings fire and it burns up everything and and it, it ends up um, Elijah then calls for the wipeout of all of the prophets of Baal it's an incredibly intense incredibly violent story but right after that, when the leader of Israel, her name is Jezebel, she's a bad, bad character. When she finds out um, what, uh, what has happened, okay, and, and what, um, what uh, Elijah has done, then what she ends up doing is she threatens him and says, I will track you down and I will kill you. And he, he, he listens to that. He hasn't been afraid of anything up until now, but all of a sudden that scares him. He takes off for the desert. And this is where we find him. He finds a broom tree and he is at the end of all of his exhaustion and he sits there. And here's where we, uh, where we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19. Okay. Uh, so Elijah was afraid and ran for his, his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. So he had somebody traveling with him. But even there he said, don't even stay with me. Um, because he's about, he thinks he's about to die. Uh, so he, he left his servant. He goes on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. In other words, what he says is, I have not accomplished anything better. I thought I was, I thought I was great, but in the end, here I am in the middle of the desert with nothing to show, afraid for my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. At all at once, an angel, literally a messenger from God. So this is literally God coming, taking the form of a messenger. That's how we understand kind of this, this word for a messenger of God came, okay? And, uh, and said, looked at him, touched him, and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the story goes on. We'll see if we, if we engage with the second part of the story or not in a moment here. But, uh, but I want you just to sit with this moment, to sit with this great prophet, who because of the fear and the, the ridiculousness around him, because of feeling like he had no options, because of being so discouraged, he, he became suicidal, okay? And he, and he sits under this broom tree and he says, I've had enough, all right? The broom tree is a place of suffering, a place of intense exhaustion, where Elijah said, I, I cannot, literally, I cannot go on. I'm too overwhelmed. My life is ragged. My life already feels like it's nearly snuffed out, right? And so in this moment, Elijah's sitting there wishing to die, okay? And out of nowhere, a messenger of God comes to him and almost in a Eucharistic way, almost in a, in a way that reminds us of, 
of the beauty of, of holy communion, right? <laughs> Meets him, touches him, interestingly, doesn't just speak, but touches, lays a hand. Can you, can you pick up the comfort and the nurturing of this moment? Gently shakes him awake, okay? Out of nowhere and offers him something to eat and something to drink. And then he goes back to sleep again <laughs> because apparently the first serving is not enough to deal with this kind of layer of exhaustion. And so again, this messenger of the Lord comes again, touches him, puts a hand on his shoulder, says, Elijah, get up and eat. And this time, this time, here's what he says in verse 7 of uh, 1 Kings 19, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. I find it absolutely fascinating that the messenger doesn't say, get up and eat. You can do this, man. You can do this. Instead, he's, he openly acknowledges, you need nourishment. You need rest. You need restoration because this journey is way too much for you to do. You can't do this. It's too much. And so there's this open acknowledgement, which is often maybe flies in the face of how we think often as Christians, um, this open acknowledgement that the journey's too much for us. We use a lot of phrases like, we'll never have more than we can handle and everything like this. But this kind of goes against that. And, and the messenger of God says, hey, you've got, you're up against more than you can handle. So slow down, get up and eat, because I know the journey's too much. And, uh, and so, so in this moment, there is this beauty. There's multiple things that are happening. Number, number one is there's more than just a story of God feeding Elijah uh, of, of being patient with Elijah's exhaustion. But there's also this image of God knowing the difference between the short journey and the long journey and acknowledging the challenging, difficult path of the long journey of faithfulness. Uh, I think a lot of us have broom tree moments throughout our lives, uh, certainly during this season where, where there's a sense because of one thing or another, there's just this sense that I am so exhausted and I am so worn out and I just feel like I have nothing to give. And, and I, I don't even know where to go. I just want to lay down and fall asleep. Uh, I've heard that from, from people and, and I think it's important for us to understand what the posture of God is in times of despair and in times of discouragement when we find ourselves sitting underneath broom trees. Uh, the, the opportunity for life change are most significant, and I would say more significant in broom tree moments than almost any other moments in our lives, because it's not where we live most of the time. Uh, it's, it's particularly desperate, end of our rope kind of things where we just simply don't know how to handle things. And in that desperation, we find that God becomes available in a unique way, that the nurturing ability of God comes to the forefront in terms of God's character. Um, but, but we have to decide, just like Elijah did, we have to decide if we'll receive it or if we will wallow further. Um, because sometimes it's preferable to sit in our despair, right? Sometimes it's, it's easier to reject grace when it comes our way. Um, it's easier to just dwell in sorrow and say, get out of here when God says, come, get up and eat. And, uh, and so I don't know what it's like for you, but I want to invite you this week and this morning to consider responding when God says, the journey is too much for you, eat and drink. Some of you are so exhausted because when you look around at the world, you see so much pain, so much violence. We're becoming more aware of violence that have been done to our brothers and sisters of color that has always been going on, but now it's coming to the forefront and many are feeling despair. Some are feeling like they don't know how to uh, even navigate 
the racial conversation that's happening. Some are looking at the coronavirus and, and the fact that we are not necessarily seeing a slowdown and wondering how could life ever return to normal. And some of you are getting really, really upset and despaired by how other people are acting like it's normal when there's still a risk out there. It's all of these very, very complicated feelings. And some of you in your isolation, you just feel like, where is God? It's hard to keep faith. Some of you feel like you are at the end of what you can handle. There's so many different emotions happening. Some of you are parenting and you're dealing with all of this exhaustion of having your kids with you while you're also trying to work. Some of you are going through family crises and health crises. There's so much that brings us under the broom tree where we just say, God, I've got nothing left. And it can feel overwhelming. But I want to invite you this week to consider how God might bring nourishment, how the messenger of God may bring food and water and acknowledge that, hey, the journey might be too much for you, but get up and eat because it's not over yet. And, uh, and so I wanna ask the question of what does soul restoration look like? How does nourishment come? So here's just a couple ideas. I, I think restoring our soul often looks like first resetting our perspective. Uh, when, when the messenger of the Lord comes, and says to Elijah, sit, eat something, get some sleep. He said, I've got you. <laughs> I've got you, Elijah. You're allowed to rest. You're allowed to do whatever that thing is that's needed for your body to heal. I don't know what that is for you right now. When I'm in a broom tree moment, God tells me to go for a run and recognize the beauty around me. And sometimes I don't want to do that, but it's what God says. And that doesn't sound like rest, right? It sounds like work or effort but that's kind of how it works with every different person. So for me, food and water is go and look and notice the beauty of God around you and let that remind you of the beauty of God overarching in people and in the world and that God's not done. That there's a whole world out there all the time that you're being invited into a world of discipleship and faithfulness. I, I don't know what that looks like for you, but what do you need to reset your perspective? What might God be calling you to do in this little moment to say, hey, it, when you are overwhelmed, reset your perspective. So restoring your soul might, starts by looking like resetting your perspective on what is good, what is true, what is real in the world. The second thing might be um, embracing our limits. Restoring your soul often looks like embracing our limits. Uh, we have limited energy, limited time, limited knowledge. Some of you have experiences that others haven't had skills that others haven't had. So some people might be limited in ways that others are not. And that is okay. Embrace the beauty of your limits. Embrace the beauty of your humanity and let Jesus find yourself so that you can actually figure out which things are yours to do, what you are made to do and which things you aren't made to do. We live in a world that, is, that uh, fails miserably because they try to be everything to all people. And so people walk around miserable because they can't, but they try. It's not sustainable. So, so restoring our souls means letting God be our savior. <laughs> you know, sometimes we need to stop acting like we don't need a savior and embrace the care that Jesus provides for us in our limitedness. So, so, so uh, soul restoration looks like resetting our perspective. It looks like embracing our limits. Um, restoring our soul looks like receiving fresh grace as well. As we think about Elijah and later on, uh, God quizzes Elijah and he asks him questions, getting him, hel helping him try to see what's real and what's true. I find confession 
to be absolutely beautiful in this area. Um, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us, to purify us, literally to refresh us, to refresh our beaten down spirit. Isn't that interesting to think that confession does that? Because when you confess something, all you do is you remind, you, you speak what's true. That's why we can have a confession of faith, but we also can confess our sins and our and our need. So when we confess to God, all we do is we say what is true, and in response, we are reminded what is true. So we say to God, here's what's true. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I am incomplete. I am in need. And instead of that being this kind of guilt-trippy thing that confession can come without the right understanding of, of the nature and character of God, what actually ends up happening is that when we remind and acknowledge God before God what is true, we get reminded of what is true. There is no condemnation. We're reminded that even though we're broken and we're weak and even though we've made mistakes, Jesus whispers to us in those moments, yeah, I know. I think you've forgotten that that is literally why I came. Jesus says, yeah, that's the good news. The thing that is truer than your brokenness is my love, is my presence, is my grace. So um, so reconnecting with God's grace is a third area. And then, and then a fourth area is uh, restoring our soul means meaningful connection and interaction with human beings. Often what we tell you as a church and encourage you to do is to get away with Jesus, right? To have spaces of silence and spaces of prayer that restore. But what we find out in the, in the story of Elijah here, he was plenty... He had plenty of silence on his own, <laughs> but he was in a place of despair. And he actually, later in the story, God, what God does with him is he says, go back to the city. Go back and find these people that you have relationships with. And it's a, and it's a push back. Uh, so I, I think sometimes uh, it's hard for us to understand nourishment as, as people, like as being with other people. Uh, in, in John 4, though, there is this awesome example of what I'm talking about. And I think we miss it often. It's just this little, 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 little story. Um, and in John 4, we read uh, Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. Uh, and, and so I, we've talked about this as a church a bunch of times. You can find it. Uh, but, but the point is not the whole story. The point is that the disciples leave and Jesus finds this woman at a well in her village. And he has this long conversation with her. And, and has this beautiful conversation about the Spirit of God and, and uh, knowing her heart and calling her into um, an, ex, an experience of, of experiencing the living water. So Jesus is talking with her about all these things. And, uh, and what happens is that when the disciples get back, she is left, okay? And the disciples come back and, uh, and they, they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Um, but, but then after all of this happens, um, the woman leaves and they say to Jesus, this is in uh, John 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat something. Like, Jesus, eat something. You haven't eaten anything all day. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, we often think that like what this means is, is like I've been like praying or something like that. But I, a fresh look at that because he follows this and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will who sent me, to the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. When Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about, he's talking about hanging out with that woman. He said, I just, 
I just hung out with this woman and had this conversation about the nature of the kingdom and what God's spirit is up to, and I'm full, guys. What a neat, beautiful way to interpret and, and, and see this statement of, I have food that you know nothing about, is literally Jesus saying, I just had a meaningful conversation with somebody, and that nourished me with all the food I need because I am participating in the will of God in interacting with other people and, and showing that love. And so, so God often, I think, uh, I love how that's nourishment to Jesus, but I think God often restores us uh, when we have heart-to-heart loving conversations with others. We're made for relationships. So soul restoration means resetting our perspective. It means embracing our limits. It means receiving fresh grace. It means meaningful interaction with other human beings. So as we walk down that road, as we begin to participate, we can expect that God will indeed nourish and restore us. So what are some of the marks of our spirit actually moving toward restoration? Then we'll, we'll end with this. Uh, one of the marks of a spirit being restored is that you're able to say, I've done what's mine to do today, and I release what isn't mine. Um, there's a sense of identity that comes from being a child of God that is deeper and more important than all of the other identities that, uh, that we might try to, to seek after and, and try to accomplish and long for. Um, so the second thing, a mark of a spirit being restored, is that we think about things that we can do um, instead of just dwelling on the things that we cannot do. So in, in a stressful environment, we think about all the things that we can't do. I think so often right now, as we're in this season where so many events have been canceled and so many disappointing things have happened in our lives, even with our gatherings um, not being able to happen as a church and the ones starting up next week, it's going to be very different, right? And it's easy to dwell on all the things that we can't do because that's what happens when you're depleted. All you do is you dwell on what's impossible. But instead of dwelling on all the things that you can do, and so a mark of a, of a spirit that is being restored is that you start to think about the things that uh, you can do each day. The opportunities that you do have to connect with God and other people instead of all the things that you can't. Uh, a third thing is that our thoughts drift to God's goodness instead of our lack or instead of our fears. 2 Corinthians 10.5 uh, says our battle, uh, it's, it's in talking about how um, we're fighting a battle but we don't wage war like the world does. And uh, it says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul's writing, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the will of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That second part, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's kind of violent language, right? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. But the more that I've come to think about it, I come to think of it like when my, my kids were babies, uh, when it was time for them to get rest, and they were overtired, they would flail about in their exhaustion. Their arms would go all over the place. And what we would do is we would swaddle them. We'd take a blanket and we would wrap up their arms. We would literally capture their arms, wrap them up. And sometimes they'd fight us for a little bit, but as soon as their arms were pinned against their little bodies, then they were at rest. Then they could sleep. Then they could get the rest that they needed. And this idea of of we take every thought and make it obedient to Christ means that we choose to let our thoughts, to redirect our thoughts to God's goodness over and over and over again instead of our lack, instead of our fears, and it begins to change who we are. It begins to set our hearts at peace again so that we can look around at the world and say, okay, what is mine to do and what is not mine to do? Uh, the next thing is that our concerns move us toward compassion instead of anger. 
So these are all marks of a spirit being restored, right? We do what's ours to do, not what's not. Sorry about this stupid fly. Um, we, uh, we think about the things that we can do instead of what we can't. We let our thoughts drift to God's goodness instead of our lack. And our concerns move us more toward compassion than anger, right? Psalm 145, 8 says that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, uh, slow to anger and rich in love. And we're called to be imitators of God. So that means that we are called to be people who are slow to anger, full of compassion, rich in love. I love that language, okay? So that means that when we look at other people, we look at them through broom tree moments. We look at them through a lens of understanding that there's many, many other people who are sitting under broom trees just as we are in those hard times. And it gives us more compassion than anger, okay? Um, number, I've got six little things, so I've got two more. Sorry, I'm doing lots of lists today, but that's all right. Uh, hopefully it's helpful. Maybe one of these will stick. That's all that needs to happen. So uh, a mark of a spirit being restored is that we identify unhealthy habits and thought patterns in our lives. And if your spirit is being restored, if God is bringing you rest, then you actually do something about it. So you start to change ways of thinking. You start to change little habits and attitudes that you've taken on and you do something different. That's a mark. So every moment that you say, you know what? This has not been a healthy pattern in my life. I'm gonna do something different today. Lord willing, God help me. That is a mark of being, restu being uh, restored, being renewed. And, uh, and so like the angel says, we get up and eat. So yo, get up and eat. Take some food. Take some, take some uh, sleep another night if you need to. Take some water. Come on, get rest. And we, we receive that. So just like that, we also do the same thing with our habits that can be destructive. And finally, our inner dialogue is a loving conversation with Jesus, not a circular conversation with ourselves. So that's the final mark that I was just, as I've been kind of thinking about all of this, our, our inner dialogue becomes a loving conversation with Jesus instead of just a circular conversation with ourselves, which is where we get in the middle of broom tree moments, where Elijah's telling himself over and over again, I just have nothing left to give. I am so miserable. I'm a failure. You know, no one's ever going to celebrate me after I'm gone. It's all these, you know, like, like just miserable, miserable, miserable. He's having these circular conversations in his head and God calls him out on it and says, it's time to keep moving but eventually reminds him of his faithfulness. And he does so because Elijah's thinking about all these big moments that have led to nothing in his mind. And God actually calls him later to experience his presence, not from one of the big things like an earth-shaking wind or an earthquake, but through a gentle whisper. And so there's this beautiful story of God speaking to Elijah and saying, hey, it's not always the big moments that matter. It's hearing my voice in the little ones. So our inner dialogue becomes a connection with Jesus instead of just thinking about the same thing over and over and over again. Listen, I don't like to do generic messages for the masses, not that we have masses, but if other people want to tune in, that's great. And if you're considering getting connected with LifePath, wonderful. But I want to speak to our church because I know our church and I know how many of you at this point in life are, are sitting under a broom tree. At this exact point in life, you feel a lot like Elijah where you just feel like I am so tapped out. I'm either angry, I'm frustrated, I'm tired. I'm wondering where God is. I don't have any grace for anybody whatever the case is. But I believe more than anything that those places under the broom trees, those places of desperation also become places of divine encounter, okay? I believe that God will strengthen and prepare you for the longer journey because it is too much for you. And that is okay to acknowledge. Uh, so you've been given so much 
for this journey ahead. You've been given the presence of Jesus to walk with you, to lean on, to give you wisdom, and you've been given a church to remind you not to dwell in isolation, right? After all, at the end of all of this, like I said, Elijah was told, get back to people, okay? He knew that bad things could happen if Elijah was left on his own for too long. He knew that if bad things could happen if Elijah was left just holding his cell phone for too long, uh, if Elijah was left just scrolling on social media for too long. He knew that it would be really bad, so he said, go back to the city and start actually interacting with real people. Carry on. That's not pressuring you, by the way, to be there in person next week uh, at Life Path if you don't feel comfortable. That's completely fine, and, uh, and you are fully a part of us if you can't come back. But there are other ways to break isolation that come with this season. There are other ways to make sure you're having meaningful interaction with people. Don't miss the opportunity. It is okay if you are in a broom tree moment, but just know that God meets us in those times and places of desperation. God speaks nourishment and rest to us, and God strengthens us because he knows that the journey is too much, but yet we don't have to do that journey alone. Okay, Sabrina's actually going to uh, lead us in a little bit of closing reflection prayer right before we, uh, we uh, part ways digitally and, uh, and go about our, our week ahead. So thanks, Sabrina. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Here we are under our broom trees. There appear to be enough for all of us. Lord, there's so much exhaustion and despair and frustration. Such a sense of being the only one. But that's not what you want us to get out of our broom tree moments. You want us to get to the end of ourselves. You want us to come to you as your children and lift our arms up and recognize that we can't even reach until you bend down and pick us up because that's how big you are. You want us to look to you for nourishment because we can't even provide food for ourselves we just get hungry and empty and exhausted without you we need you to change the way we look at things we need to receive your presence the fullness of your grace your love that works transformation inside us. Even when all we can say is wah, wah, wah. I can't accomplish any of it because everybody's against me and it's too hard and I'm worn out. Even when all we've got is wah, 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 you say, I love you. The journey's too much for you. That's why I'm not going to let you do it alone. I'm going to give you myself. Oh, Lord, help us to receive you in all of our broom tree moments and cause us to be changed, deeply and eternally changed by your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.